subject is extremely important to living well and living by faith. I hope you understand that living well and uh, living eternally are two very different things. Uh, people live eternally because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. But unfortunately, some people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't choose to live in a manner like God taught us to live, and so their life here is a big mess. Uh, and by the way, uh, there are some people who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they basically live in a manner that God taught us to live, and they live a pretty decent life here and now. Unfortunately, though, uh, they will die and go to hell because Jesus is the key to eternal life. And uh, understanding rightful authority, following rightful authority, using rightful authority in, in a proper manner, that is part of living a blessed life. Uh, because most, if not all, of our problems in marriage and in home and in culture and in our church, in some way they're a problem with authority. Remember, authority is the power to command, to enforce laws, to exact obedience, to judge a situation or a person as being right or wrong. And we spent time laying the foundation for rightful authority. God's our creator. He makes the rules. And unfortunately, though, no one can see God today with our eyes. No one can hear God audibly with our ears. And so because God knew that, he delegated some of his authority to something we could see and hear, and that's his word, the scriptures. And then in the scriptures, uh, God delegated authority to some people under some circumstances. He delegated some of his authority to husbands over their own wives, to parents over their own children, to a pastor over the flock that he leads. And we talked about that the last time we met. And that all of these relationships, parent-child, uh, husband-wife, pastor-people, uh, it is that special relationship that becomes the boundaries and the uh, context in which all authority is used and, and followed when it's used rightly. Uh, let me ask you, do you really want to know uh, and follow the authority of God in your life? Uh, by and large, probably because you're here on a Sunday night, uh, you do, at least to one degree or another. Uh, and so before, though, we get into some more details about how rightful authority should be used and how it should be followed, I want to spend one more week on a couple of basic principles that help both leaders and followers fulfill our role assigned to us by our Creator. Um, and by the way, if you're here and you're a leader and you have in your mind that it is easy uh, for people to follow your leadership, you don't get how difficult it is to follow sometimes. And if you are a follower and you think, wow, uh, boy, I wish I was a leader because that's easy, you don't get how difficult it is to lead rightly. And so these are uh, a couple of principles that will help us uh, in both of those roles. And as we study this, it should become apparent to all of us that without the grace of God and the enabling power of the Spirit of God that lives inside Christian people, we would never be able to do any of this well. We need the Lord. Go ahead and stand, if you would, in honor of uh, God's Word. And the title of my thought tonight is, What Did You Expect to Happen? What Did You Expect to Happen? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 15, says, My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. 
Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. I think you might be seated. As many of you remember from our series about a year ago, that wrapped up about a year ago, uh, through the book of Proverbs, much of the book of Proverbs is a wise father teaching his son, and that is the case in this particular section. It's emphasized in verse 15, My son, if thine heart be wise, and my heart shall rejoice, uh, even mine. By the way, if you are here and you're a Christian, and you don't have an earthly father that is godly, or wise, you can always, every time you open up this book, you can look up to your loving Father in heaven and say, you know what, I have a loving Father instructing me in how to live my life wisely. And by the way, if you're privileged to have a godly Father in life, understand that the best from among men is still a man at best. And so that we have, even if you have a godly father and a godly heritage, you can also sit down at the feet of your loving Father in heaven and be instructed on how it is that He wants us to live if we would live wisely as He defines wisdom. Now part of His instruction here to His Son is to teach Him not to envy sinners, but instead to fear the Lord. Did you see that in verse 17? Let not thine heart envy sinners. But be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. By the way, I hope you understand that it is wise to fear the Lord. Amen. Now, if you're living a sincere Christ, uh, Christian life, you, that does not mean you're looking over your shoulder waiting for your Heavenly Father to drop some club on you. What it means is that you have enough health, healthy respect and fear of God to understand, you know what, if I go back and defy what God has taught me and just live defiantly to my Father in Heaven, I have good reason to fear God. And it's wise to fear God, not just when we show up at the Lord's house, not just on the Lord's day. It is wise to fear God every day, all day. And in contrast to fearing the Lord, he talked about envying sinners, and he warned them against that. Against envying what those who live a life that's out and out rebellious to God have, and the kind of fun they seem to be having. By the way, everybody falls into this trap from time to time. We, we look at those who live their life and they don't live faithfully to Christ and we look at sometimes the things they have that we don't have and we look at what seems to be the fun they're having that we don't think that we're having and we begin to envy them. Everybody struggles with that from time to time. We're not turning there tonight, but if you take notes, Mark Psalm 73, and the whole psalm is about a godly man named Asaph who lost sight of what it was to be blessed by God and began to envy sinners. Here the wise father warns his son, don't envy sinners, and he tells us why not to do that. Notice in verse 18, he says, for surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. See, there is an inevitable end of those who live carelessly, who live without faith, who live immorally, who live a life without character. There is an inevitable end. And if you envy sinners, you're losing sight of the ultimate end of what they're going to do and what they're going to become. 
I like biographies. I like to read them. If I find them in television, I watch them, even for, for biographies of people that I don't like how they live because I want to find out what made them who they are to avoid it. Uh, but they, I watched a biography the other day on Ric Flair. And if you don't know who he is, he is a, a famous wrestler from a, a previous generation. And he lived a life that a lot of people really... Uh, really admired him. But I'm going to tell you what, uh, right now he's reaping uh, the expected end of living a careless life. He had four marriages, cheated on all four of his wives, lived carelessly, didn't invest in any of the lives of any of his children. They didn't have their father there. The two youngest children, they were drug addicts. And the youngest son that he did spend more time with with any of the others, he died of a drug overdose, which caused the youngest daughter to kind of wake up a little bit. And she has a little bit of a relationship with her dad. But his life at 68 is a mess. You see, he expected that living a careless, ungodly life was going to be all right. But in the end, it didn't work out. And that's what the wise man warns his son about. He says, there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. You see, he expected he was going to get away with all that stuff, and everything would be fine, but in life it has a bad end, and ultimately, in the end, he will open up his eyes in a devil's hell if he doesn't repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A godly person, on the other hand, has expectations as well. Expectations from Scripture of having a life that is blessed by God and rewards in eternity. And that expectation will not be dis disappointed or cut off. You see, everybody has expectations. Both the godly and the ungodly. Have you ever thought about this? That by and large, how happy we are in life is directly related to our expectations. I mean, think about this. If you were expecting a $2 an hour raise and you only got $1 an hour, you would be disappointed. You'd be mad at your boss, mad at your company, going on and saying, oh, if you were expecting a 50 cent raise and you got a $1 an hour raise, you'd be happy as can be. And it's the same dollar. And the only difference is, is what you expected to happen. And so by and large, in every area of our life, whether it's as parents or as a married couple or in ministry or in our employment, in every area of life, uh, what we expect has a lot to do with how happy we are with what's going on. Which really brings us to the first principle that helps both leaders and followers when it comes to rightful authority. And that's uh, number one, have realistic expectations. Turn back in your Bible to Psalm 103. Realistic expectations for those you lead if you are a leader and realistic expectations for those who follow. What do you expect? What do you expect from those who lead you? What do you expect from those who follow you? By the way, depending on whether your expectations are good and right or not, largely will determine how happy you are. In Psalm 103, and by the way, it's just a great psalm. If you're looking for a psalm to memorize, it's long. I've never been able to get it all together. But to do it in blocks, just a lot of great things in Psalm 103. Notice he begins in verse 10. He says, He hath not, that's God, hath not dealt with us after our sins, 
nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I wonder why that is. We'll see. Verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. wonder why and how he does that. Oh, verse 14, For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Do you realize that God's expectations for us are all in the light and the shadow of the fact that he remembers we're dust? Now I get that some dust is better than other dust, but in the end we're all just dust. The best from among men is still a man at best. I don't care the godliest person you can name, the most wise person you can name, the most spiritually mature person you can name. They're still just dust, and God Himself remembers that and deals with us in light of His expectation of remembering that we are really just dust. You see, followers will never be happy with those who lead them as long as their expectation is unrealistic. I didn't say don't have any high expectations. Sometimes reasonable expectations are high. I said have realistic expectations. Wives, what do you expect from your husband? Children, what do you expect from your parents? What do you expect from me as your pastor, from the staff here, from those who lead you in ministry? Are your your expectations realistic? Listen, it is really easy for someone who follows to expect their leader to be perfect when they know good and well that they are not perfect themselves. You will never be happy with any rightful authority if your expectations from those who have it are unrealistic. Leaders will never be happy with those who follow them as long as their expectations are unrealistic. I didn't say don't have high expectations. Some reasonable expectations are high. Uh, But it's important that we have realistic expectations. Husbands, what do you expect from your wives? Parents, what do you expect from your children? Do you expect your 5-year-old to be 10? Do you expect your 15-year-old to be 20? What do you expect? Ministry leaders, and, and for myself, what do we expect from people who follow and serve and work here? Are they realistic? Listen, it's easy for somebody who leads to expect those who follow them to be perfect when they know good and well that they don't perfectly lead. And no one will ever be happy with those who are supposed to follow your authority unless your expectations are realistic. You see, unrealistic expectations in every area of life set people up for unhappiness and disappointment instead of fulfillment and joy. And I say this all the time here, God's general plan for life is that we would be fulfilled and joyful and blessed. I didn't say everything is easy, sometimes it's hard. But that is His general plan for our life. See, sometimes husbands and wives get their unrealistic expectations from fiction rather than reality. Far too many wives have expectations of their husbands that are based on romance novels and romance movies and and things like that. Many husbands expect their wives to be interested and dramatic in their responses like actresses who are pretenders on television and movies. Sometimes... Couples get their expectations for what their marriage should be like from marriages that have been around a lot longer than theirs. 
You know, instead of envying your marriage not being like someone who's been married 10 years, why don't you privately talk to him and say, what did you struggle with when you'd been married 12 months like us? You see, a lot of times things are nowhere near as bad as we perceive them to be because we expect something that's unrealistic. Sometimes parents and children get their unrealistic expectations from families that are older and they're not fully exposed. You watch somebody at church for three hours a week and say, wow, I wish my kid behaved like theirs. Or you ought to see them in the mornings or when you're not watching them. <laughs> Listen. When we have unrealistic expectations, we set ourselves up both as leaders and followers to be disappointed and unhappy. And that's just not wise and it's not fair. Sometimes pastors and people and ministry leaders and people in the church have unrealistic expectations for each other. Have you ever thought about this? For those of you who have some hero who is an author or a pastor of some other church, and, and, and that's fine, uh, have you ever thought about this, that you never have to deal with them at all? Never. They don't ever express any authority over you. You don't ever experience any of their humanity. All you do is you deal with their image. By the way, that's really, really easy. By the way, that's why, brother, when you start envying someone else's wife, it's only because you don't know the whole story. So I wish you were like, and first, you should never say that. Secondly, you should never think that. Because she's a rascal in some area of her life, too. So I miss my husband was a leader. and You, you don't know. You, you don't really want that kind of leadership, and you know it. Because if he was your leader, you'd feel like he was too bossy. See, God knew the people to whom he delegated authority would just be dust and not perfect in any way, and yet he still delegated some of his authority to them. God knew the people who would follow authority he delegated would just be dust and not perfect, and it was still his plan. See, in every area of our life, unrealistic expectations hurt us but there's one area where it's really a problem. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Proverbs, of course, is the book of the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes is the book of the wisdom of man. And man's wisdom, of course, sometimes is right and sometimes it's not. And God recorded it like that so he would teach us that man has never changed. But there's a little tidbit of wisdom, and I have uh, privately shown this verse to all kinds of people. Publicly, I've mentioned it several times here. If this is not highlighted or underlined in your Bible in some way, uh, this ought to be, because this is a great principle for life and for leaders and for followers uh, and just in general. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and I guess I better get there instead of just talking. Uh, verse 21, Ecclesiastes 7, 21. It says, also, take no heed unto all words that are spoken. In other words, don't listen to everything that gets said, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. Did you hear what he said? He said, don't listen to everything that's said, and particularly if you're a leader, don't listen to everything your followers say. And then he tells us why. He says, because 
If you're going to get so uptight about what they say, never forget the kind of things that you've said. By the way, whether you realize it or not, that's a great principle for life. He's saying we remember what we've said as we consider what they've said. Let me ask you, if you're a leader, would you be as, disappointment, as disappointed with what was said about you if you remembered what you've said? <laughs> there, there is not a person here who sometime when you were tired or sometime when you were angry about something else or sometime when someone caught you off guard when you did not just say something you shouldn't have said. Every one of us have done it. And then we somehow unwisely turn around and when someone does the same thing to us, we're all up in arms. Do you know what they say? Listen, he just simply, he, he's not saying don't ever address anything. He's not saying it's all right. He said, you know what, when you're trying to deal with this and face it, just remember that, you know what, you've really said some things that you shouldn't say too. Say, preacher, what do you think when someone criticizes your leadership here? Well, to be honest with you, a lot of times I think that it's, I have it coming. I'm just doing the best I can. It's not perfect. And then the second thing I think is, wow, you know what? I've been critical at times of my leaders and I shouldn't have been. And the third thing I think is, well, do I need to do anything about this or should I just let it go? By the way, this ministry isn't about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of God and taking that truth to our culture. Amen. Basic principle here is remember what you've done in weak moments because it will help you be more patient with others. Let me just say that again. Remember what you've done in weak moments because it helps you be more patient with others. It's important for husbands to consider what they expect from their wives and wives from their husbands. Are, are they realistic? It's important for parents to consider what they expect from their children and children from their parents. Are they realistic? Well, I wish my parent was like... Oh, no, you, you just don't know them. You still know them. By the way, I don't remember anybody saying that when we were raising our kids. Man, saying to my boys, well, I wish my dad was like your dad. No, they, nobody didn't say that. They mostly said, wow, man, my dad's way nicer than your dad is. It's important to consider our expectations for one another as a pastor and as people. Are they realistic? May God help all of us to remember the humanity of those with whom we are in one of these special relationships. Everyone is just dust. God remembers it. But it's not just unrealistic expectations that hurt us as we try to uh, survive and thrive in these relationships that God has brought in, into our life. Husband, wife, parent, child, pastor, people, boss, employee, uh, you name it, uh, these relationships. There's another principle that will really help us. And in Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to just preface what I'm going to say now by saying this is a very mature Christian thought. 
By the way, some of the Bible is milk and some of the word is meat. Some of the milk of the word is milk of the word because it is easy to understand and easy to do. By the way, it's milk of the word. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the plan for eternal life. If you have not been born again, if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care if you are a Baptist for 55 years, you are not going to go to heaven. Some of the meat of the word is meat of the word because it is hard to understand. Other parts of the word are meat of the word, not because they're hard to understand, but because they're hard to do. This is one of those. This is not elementary school Christianity. This is college-level Christianity. But this is a great principle for you and I as we attempt to follow the authority of God in our life as husbands and wives and parents and children and a pastor and people in every area where people have rightful authority. And here it is, number two. Remember, how well you fulfill your role depends on you not them. How well you fulfill your role depends on you, not them. So why do you even make a statement like that? Because there are a lot of wives here who say, you know what, I'd be a better woman if my husband was a better man. And there are a lot of husbands here who say, I'd be a better leader in my home if my wife was a better follower. There are a lot of kids in here. You say, well, if I had this in parent, then I would be a lot better kid. There are a lot of parents in here. You say, well, I'd be a better parent if my kid was like... No, listen. What we are as a leader and follower depends on us, not on anybody else. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount to His disciples, He says these words. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies... Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Did you see verse 45? God sends his sunshine on the good and the evil. He doesn't have his sunshine on the evil people because they deserve sunshine. He has his sunshine on the evil people because God is good. Did you see that? He causes his rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. God doesn't give rain to an unjust farmer because that farmer deserves rain. God gives rain to the unjust farmer because God is good. You see, what what he's saying here is that God does what he does not because of who we are but because of who he is. God doesn't love us because we deserve love. God loves us because God is love. God does not give us mercy because we deserve mercy. He gives us mercy because He's merciful. God is not gracious to us because we deserve grace. God is gracious to us because He's a gracious God. In other words, God does everything He does because of who He is. And what Jesus tells His disciples there and uses His Father as an, as an illustration, as an example, he, he says, you're the children of your Father, and my Father is good to people who don't deserve it because of who He is. And so He gives us this instruction in verse 44. He says, love your enemies. We don't love them because they deserve to be loved. We love them because of the love of God that is in us. 
He says, bless them that curse you. Uh, speak well of them. Speak kindly to them. He, he doesn't say to uh, bless them to cur- that curse you because they deserve to be blessed. You bless them because of what is in you, not because of what is in them. He says, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. He doesn't say to pray for them because they deserve your prayers. They deserve your curses. They deserve your anger. But he says, you're the children of your Father. And your Father always responds by what is in Him, not what is in us. That is mature thinking. (laughs) And I'll say amen there. You see, responding as a leader or a follower because of who we are instead of who those we lead or follow are, that's mature Christianity. You see, if you think about it, when you and I respond to somebody based on how they responded, in reality, what we're doing is we're letting them control us. Do you know one of the primary lessons we tried to teach our children growing up is you control yourself. If you have not recognized that you teaching your child to control themselves is one of the key issues for all of their life, you have not opened your eyes as a parent. Because what most of our culture does and much of Christianity does is they allow the people around them to control them. Well, they were unkind to me, therefore I will be unkind to them. They were not nice to me, therefore I do not need to be nice to them. And Jesus teaches the exact opposite thing. You know, every husband here can be the right kind of husband. Every wife here can be the right kind of wife. Every parent here can be the right kind of parent. Every child here can be the right kind of child. Every ministry leader, ministry worker, and for myself and for anybody that follows authority in the Lord's church or in your workplace or wherever it is, your boss does not control the kind of employee that you are. We ought to be controlled by Christ who lives within us. As Christian people, everything we do and say should run through the filter of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us as Christian people, walk in the Spirit. I mean, I just recently heard a story about a church that was having problems and Somebody came and a group of people came in and interrupted the service and they went up and were, I guess, trying to shut the piano down, uh, the lid on the piano while somebody was playing it and pushing somebody out of the way who was trying to run the camera for the service. And You, you know what? I'm going to tell you who's in that. The devil. Amen. That, that is someone who has zero understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Zero understanding of how you're supposed to behave no matter how right you are and how wrong someone else is. And I realize this is a very mature thought, but I want to tell you, the more you and I apply this in our life as leaders and followers and stop blaming who we are on the person that follows us or the people that lead us, the more we will grow and become what we should be. 
The kind of leader or follower we are depends upon the condition of our own heart. Now, I get we live in a culture of blame, and I get that our human fallen nature wants to blame everything else, uh, everything we are, and somebody else. But I'm just going to tell you, someday when we face God at the judgment seat of Christ, that's not going to hold water. Let me ask you a, a couple of questions as we think about this. Would you describe yourself as someone who is easy or hard to lead? Teenagers, are you easy or hard to parent? Wives, are you easy or hard to lead for your husband? Same thing's true in the church. Are you easier or hard to lead? Why wouldn't you try to become easier to lead for Christ's sake if you're hard to lead? I've literally had women boast to me, yeah, I'm hard to lead, I'm hard on my husband. And I always think to myself, you're proud of that? I mean, my desire in every area of life where I follow is to be as easy to lead as possible. Now, if you're a leader here or anywhere else, and most people are in some area of your life, would you describe yourself as someone who is easy or hard to follow? And would those who follow you agree? You know, if you're hard to follow, why wouldn't you for Christ's sake, become easier to follow. Listen, no one controls the kind of leader or follower we are. Here's what we do control, how easy we make it on them. My goal as a husband is to be as easy to follow as possible. By the way, that's one of my goals as a parent. And now I don't have any authority in that area. That's one of my goals as pastor. I realize that some of the things that I try to do and and the way I do them, though I'm doing them as best as I can and as best as I see what's true and, and, and what's right, I get that sometimes my leadership is hard to follow, but it's never because I do it on purpose. I want to be as easy to follow as possible. And when it comes to all leadership and following rightful authority, it all boils down to one simple thing. We need the Lord. If Christ is not in your life and you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you just do not have the wherewithal or the internal motivation to be the kind of leader or follower I've talked about tonight. You need Jesus in your heart. And if you're here and you're Christian... Christ is in your life. God's Spirit lives in you because He lives in every true child of God. Then you have the desire to be this way and it boils down to this simple thing. Will you yield to Him or not? Will you walk in the Spirit? Just like you walk in the hallway, what you do is controlled by the boundaries of the hallway. When you walk in the Spirit, 
Everything you do is controlled by the boundaries of the Spirit. How you speak to one another, how you treat one another, where you go, what you don't do, everything within the boundaries of the Spirit. Does that describe you? If not, please change that because these principles really help us in every area of life. And over the next few weeks, we will first focus on how a follower follows their leader and how to make them better leaders and then on how leaders should use rightful authority and how to help those who follow you fulfill God's potential in life. But it all boils down to this. Where's the Lord in a situation? If you'd quietly stand tonight.